back to another episode of the Touch Points podcast put on by East Point Bible Church. This is the sixth episode in a seven-episode series titled Right Answers for Wrong Ideas. And the aim of this series is to provide biblical direction and wisdom for where to go and how to answer those who disagree with the truth of God's Word. In this episode, we will focus on the biblical response to the worldviews of atheism. God does not exist, as they state. In the worldview of agnosticism, which is a worldview that a person is uncertain or questioning if God exists, atheism and agnosticism is the basis for many worldviews that reject the existence or relevance of a personal God, such as secular humanism, postmodernism, Marxist-Leninism, cosmic humanism, and other worldviews. It's these type of worldviews Uh, that center on the human individual or the human culture as the focal point of existence. And it's these worldviews that are greatly influencing the direction and values of Western culture. And so because of the prevalence of atheistic agnostic values in our culture and their worldviews, Christians need to be capable of articulating a case for God's existence and relevance for everything in our world. Our godless culture, both in belief and in practice, demands for us Christians to boldly defend the existence of God and explain clearly why God matters above all else. And so to start in today's podcast episode, let's discuss why it is difficult to engage with those who hold to an atheistic or agnostic worldview and the focus required to engage them on the truth. Imagine real briefly with me uh, trying to explain directions to someone about a specific location that they want to go to that you know how to get to, but they had a different map from you. It would be difficult. They would disagree over the specific route, uh, the fastest way to get there, what the most efficient way to get there perhaps. But there are mutually agreed upon facts, uh, such as what north, south, east, and west are, or the reality of what the destination is. And so despite the disagreement in the lacking of the same source of direction, there's some commonly agreed upon facts that help guide the basis for the conversation. Now imagine trying to explain directions to someone on where they're trying to go or they should be trying to go, but that individual you're talking with doesn't believe in the directions on a compass. They don't believe in such a thing as north, south, east, or west. Or they question the existence of the destination, uh, why they should go there if it even exists. The difficulty would be astronomically different than from the first conversation. And this illustration portrays the difficulty of discussing our Christian worldview with those of an atheistic agnostic worldview because we have no agreed upon foundations for understanding the universe in any shared value or agreed upon principle. And the the complete absence of shared viewpoints require the conversations we have with atheists and agnostics to focus on some very basic and rudimentary principles, specifically the existence of God and the imminence of God, that is the relevance and closeness of God and his relationship with the universe. And so where do we start to articulate the existence of God to those who do not believe in God or uncertain. I believe there's two key areas of appeal that we need to focus on. The first one is general revelation. 
The second is special revelation. And I recommend appealing to these areas in sequential order, starting with general revelation first, and then moving on to special revelation. So to start, we need to ask the question, what is general revelation? And so general revelation is the witness of God through the things he has created that can be observed or experienced generally by all. And there's two key aspects of general revelation, creation or the physical universe and morality. Both of these realities are observable by all people, which is why it is a general revelation because all people can attest to it. Paul explains it well in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, which says, For the wrath of God is revealed from all heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Clearly from this text, we see that general revelation is both an internal and external testimony of God about his existence and general truth about who he is. Now that we know what general revelation is, in our conversations, what should we talk about from general revelation? So what points should we draw from the, the idea, the concept of general, general revelation in our discussions with people. I believe there's two key points that we need to hit on from the concept of general revelation. The first point is that the natural world attests strongly to the existence of a creator because of the design, order, and beauty found within creation and within the very existence of creation. Appealing to creation is making sense and making the case of God's existence. To appeal to creation, one doesn't need to be a scientist. One doesn't need to work in a field of science. One doesn't necessarily need to be academic to articulate or understand the evidence found within the natural world that gives evidence for God. But one does need to be biblically informed and studious in research in looking at the truth and looking at the facts we see in creation. The complexities and intricacies of our universe are before our eyes to see and share. All throughout Scripture, especially in the Psalms, the wonders of the universe, even in most rudimentary and basic understanding, give basis or foundation to acknowledge God for them. Beyond what we can see through basic observation and simple reasoning— uh, there's a lot of great apologetic works that focus on the specific areas of the natural world that attest to the creation of God. These resources are immensely beneficial uh, in providing you the ability to converse with an atheist or agnostic, as well as prepare you for some of the arguments or points that they might try to make. Study is the best practice for preparing what to say in a conversation with those who do not believe about God. And so from creation, we're able to see so many evidences, strong components of focus that show and highlight that there must be a creator. The element of design, the element of cause, the element of beauty, uh, the element of order, um, even the element of chaos, meaning that the disorder and 
the deterioration of natural elements in the universe point to what? That something is not the way it's supposed to be. So something has departed from that perfect order. And so creation is a great area of focus for us to use, to utilize, to show why God exists and is necessary, essential. The second point from general revelation to focus on when talking with atheists or agnostics is the existence of objective morality requires a moral lawgiver and a creator of creatures that are moral, since morality cannot be physically determined or created. Articulating the case uh, for not only the existence of God, but also the necessity of God from the reference point of morality is an excellent pathway of discussion. Morality is personal, relevant, and naturally engages a person since God created us to be moral creatures. If you look at Romans 12 or chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. And so using morality as evidence for the existence of God aims for the person that you're talking to to come to the conclusion that an objective morality or even the existence of moral law affirm that affirms that something is right or affirms that something is wrong can only come from a creator that is moral. It cannot come from a physical, spontaneous, random, biological source. Moral law, an objective standard of good, an objective standard of evil, requires a moral standard and a moral lawgiver. And so the goal should be to show that the morality we innately know, that scripture testifies we innately can confirm through our conscience, the law written on our hearts, this that we know to be true can, in our, and we experience and witness in our daily lives, that moral reality can only originate from and find objectivity in God. A helpful tip um, to make those points would be to utilize historical examples or present-day scenarios to create moral dilemmas or questions that guide the conversation along to show the necessity of an ultimate moral authority and that the nature of morality can only be explained by a personal God who is moral. And so to summarize, general revelation appeals to what people can see, know, and experience firsthand as undeniable evidence and testimony for God's existence Practice and study to be confident in using both creation and morality as a main area of appeal to an atheist or an agnostic is critical in being an effective witness. So to use general revelation effectively, study and practice are essential. Reading not only apologetic books, but primarily reading God's word, um, practicing the logic, practicing the techniques, the flow of thought are all essential in using general revelation to articulate arguments for the existence of God. The second key area of appeal that we want to focus on is special revelation. So what is special revelation? Special revelation is the act of God revealing himself in more specific and direct ways through supernatural means in greater detail. Some examples of special revelation are scripture, uh, Jesus, um, angelic visitations, visions, etc., And so you might be asking the question, how does focusing on special revelation help in a conversation with an individual that does not believe or questions the existence of the supernatural? 
Well, special, special revelation must naturally follow general revelation because general revelation is inherently limited in the breadth and depth of truth it can reveal. By discussing special revelation with those who are atheist agnostics, you are arguing the, for the existence of God, not only just a God, but the God of the Bible. So the key point that I focus on, that I want us to focus on when discussing special revelation with an atheist or agnostic is the reliability and trustworthiness of Scripture. And so on the reliability of Scripture rests the legitimacy of all other expressions of special revelation from our modern, present-day perspective. Think of it this way. If Scripture is true, then the God of the Bible is true. And the testimony of Jesus is true. And so defending the trustworthiness of Scripture makes the case for the reality of special revelation, which provides the strong evidence for the reality of God. The logic flows like this. A strong case for the Bible makes a strong case for what the Bible says, which makes a strong case for the existence of the biblical God because that's what the Bible says. And so similar to using creation as a source of evidence for the existence of God, defending the trustworthiness of the Bible likewise requires committed study to be an effective witness. We need to ask ourselves, what should we focus on in defending the legitimacy of the Bible to an atheist or agnostic? I think there's a couple of critical areas of focus we need to prioritize in our study and our preparation for being quality defenders of the faith. The first area is the historicity of the Bible. The descriptions of historical events within the Bible are historically accurate. The Bible records actual historical events in a majority of its content. Biblical doctrine is based on historical events actually happening as the Bible claims. Thus, being familiar with the archaeological evidence for the Bible and the absence of any against the Bible greatly aids in establishing this point. Knowing places in Scripture that have specific historical reference that can be verified to be true are great evidence to the Bible's historical legitimacy. There are plenty of great books and websites that can help uh, with this focus. And so knowing that the Bible is an historical book, having some examples that are prepared ahead of time to turn to as examples for the Bible's historical legitimacy and knowing the archaeological evidence that affirms and confirms the claims of the Bible and knowing that there is an absence of evidence that contradicts the claims of the Bible establishes its historicity and its valuableness. The second area we want to look at is the internal harmony, that the Bible does not contradict itself. This is more of a defensive or passive apologetic than an offensive or active argument. One of the most widespread claims is that the Bible is full of contradictions, not only historically but doctrinally. If this claim is brought up, you need to be prepared to answer critics or questions about the Scripture's consistency. Be sure to ask for clarification and examples so you know where to focus if this argument is brought up. And so showing that a book, that the Bible that was written over a 1,500-year period with 40-plus authors— that the Bible has cohesive and coherent thought and focus accredits a great amount of credibility to what it says. And so take time to know your Bible enough to explain the criticisms that could be made by proponents against God's word 
and make the case for its unparalleled consistency. The next thing we will look at is the divine authorship, that the Bible possesses characteristics only explainable by divine authorship. Many elements of the Bible make the case for the claim of divine authorship, some already discussed and some that haven't been. Knowing how to present a case for the divine authorship of the Bible is important because it differentiates the Bible from all other literature in authority and preeminence. Know what the Bible claims about itself. Be familiar with the passages in Scripture that detail what the Bible claims about itself and where the Bible claims to be from. Passages like 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, 2 Timothy 3:16, Isaiah 48, Proverbs 30, 5 through 6, John 17, 17, and so on, so that you are certain and able to turn to passages that detail what the Bible claims to be. Now, a, a personal suggestion, one of my favorite techniques to make the point of the divine authorship of Scripture is to utilize prophecy. Now, since the Bible contains large amount of prophecy, there is an ample supply of examples that can be found for you to identify, study, and explain in conversations as evidence. When selecting a prophecy to use, be sure to know the passage well enough to where you can quote it or reference it or even better, turn to the passage. And when you turn there or quote it, explain the context for the passage, the details of the prophecy, and the fulfillment of it. I have used passages in conversations such as Isaiah 45 about King Cyrus, Micah 5 about Christ, Daniel 7 through 11 about the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. I've used Obadiah on the demise of Edom. Uh, You can use Nahum on the destruction of Assyria. All of these prophecies can be used and explained to show the divinity of Scripture since only these type of prophecies can be divine and come from divine origin and someone of complete omniscience like God. The next thing we want to look at is the statement factuality, that the statements made in Scripture are indeed factually true. If the Bible is God's word and it is true, then no statements made in the Bible should misrepresent or contradict reality. This evidence can be both active and passive. What I mean is that you can have some passages prepared to turn to where Scripture makes a claim or statement about something to be true long before it was verified to be true. Statements like this can be found all over Scripture, and you can utilize these as a strong evidence for why Scripture has been divinely authored. Passively, when someone makes a claim about a specific statement or claim in Scripture being false, having a response to defend that statement's claim is supercritical. The last thing I want to focus on is textual reliability, that the Bible today is the Bible of the past. The preservation of the biblical text testifies to the divinity of Scripture. The Bible is unique and unrivaled in numerous ways in relation to other texts that clearly reveal its divinity and origin and preservation. There are more ancient copies of the Bible than any other ancient book. There is less time between the earliest possessed and known copy than the original copy than any other ancient book. The textual agreement between the copies of scriptural content is 99.95%, which supersedes that of any other ancient work. All evidence 
and data show the Bible to be reliable and textually sound. And so make the case for Scripture before an atheist and an agnostic, because by making the case for Scripture, you're making the case for what Scripture says, and then in turn, you're making the case for God. And so to close this podcast, I would like to make a point about engaging with those who do not believe in God. As we've discussed, talking with an atheist or an agnostic requires starting at different points than other religions or worldviews because we have different starting points. We have such differing foundations. And talking with an atheist or agnostic takes a very methodical, evidence-based approach, specifically on the subject of God's existence. And I want to encourage you to never forget the gospel. No amount of evidence can save someone. Only the gospel can. And the emphasis on evidence in our conversations should be only to make a case for the gospel and prepare the foundation for the gospel to be given. Because the Bible and God are essential to the gospel, which is why evidence is important. Because by providing the evidence for the Bible and for the existence of God, you are making the case for the gospel. And so don't forget the gospel. Don't get swept up in arguing the evidence that you forget the primary purpose for why you're there is to articulate and explain and give the good news. And so please remember that in your conversations. That's something of premier significance to remember. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Touchpoints podcast. We hope to connect with you again in our future episodes. God bless. God bless.